MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, here we go. Pac-12 fans, this one's for you. Put your hands up, man! This is the Pac-12 Apostles. Keeping it real. And only the truth lives here. Pac-12 Apostles. It is week nine in the Pac-12, and there are so many things going on in the conference. Can Oregon get in the college football playoff? Over Ohio State, if they're both 12 and 1. The game times are not favoring Oregon State, and they're still not ranked, and that's an absolute crime. Uh, USC thought, I guess, that they could get Mike Tomlin. He's like hell to the no. Uh, what's going on over at Arizona State? Plus, week eight in review, the Pac 12 power rankings, and the week nine picks. I'm George Reister. He's Ralph Amsden, and today we have the Bible and the gospel of them all, Mr. John Wilner from the Bay Area News Group and the Pac-12 Hotline here. Man, welcome to the show, John. I'm happy to have you. Well, thanks. It should be tons of fun. I appreciate you guys uh, having me on. Plenty to talk about, that's for sure. I'm oh. pumped to have John on, Georgia. He he's been doing stuff with my guy Brad Sesmat down in uh, down in Arizona. It's making me a little jealous. So it's a uh, it's good to have John here with us. Yeah, Brad. Brad's great. Brad's a, he's a good guy. Close pro. Yeah. All right. The first thing up is we have like John. What what's your assessment of the conference through eight weeks? Because for people who don't know, you are an AP voter and a Heisman voter, what have you seen through eight weeks? Because your ballot is public and you have two Pac-12 teams ranked, Oregon and Oregon State. I do. I mean, I've seen a lot of the same stuff that we saw before the pandemic, right? I mean, you kind of have to write off last year. But back in that, what, 2017, 18, 19 window, it was kind of the same stuff, right? The Pac-12 
had a lot of parity, which made for lots of exciting games. But there's a big question as to whether there's a team good enough to make the playoff this year, and as was the case all the previous few years. And do you believe that Oregon State has – you know, like they're not ranked. I think it was only four voters out of the 63 who had Oregon State ranked. And I think that that is partially because of pretty much every single one of their games has been uh, a late kickoff. And all of them, except for three, were on Pac-12 network. And or so they're either late on FS1 or Pac-12 Net Network, which have which hasn't given anybody the visibility to see them play. I mean, I think that that's certainly part of it. There's no question about that. The other part is, I mean, there's two other issues. One is Purdue's not very good, and Purdue beat them. So you know, if you're a voter and you're doing a little bit of your homework and you're looking, well, you, you see a loss to Purdue. Produce what, 500 in the Big Ten? So that's not so good. The other thing is that there is unquestionably brand bias in the voting, right? I mean, voters are more naturally inclined to vote for teams that they voted for in the past, right? And Oregon State, if you're Oregon State or a Wake Forest is another good example. I mean, they're, they got a better record. But newcomers to the radar have a higher standard to clear, higher bar to clear, to get respect from the voters, now, College Game Day was seriously considering going to Corvallis before they lost to Washington State. And then it comes out that uh, the, the College Game Day lead-in really, really helped the ratings for the Oregon game, this being, I think, the most watched Pac-12 game since 2017. Uh, according to uh, James Corpea, it says 3.8 million viewers. How much did Oregon State cost themselves by not being able to get a win uh, in Pullman because I mean that that would have been the uh, that might have gone a long way to erasing some of the brand bias that you're talking about. It might have. It might have. I don't know for sure that they would have picked Oregon State, Utah. I mean, that's you know UCLA, Oregon's got a lot of appeal on a lot of levels, right? I mean, Chip Kelly's a national name. Oregon's a national brand. You know, UCLA, Rose Bowl. There, there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, plus. I mean, Chip, you know, Chip knows those people at ESPN. I'm sure that helped. Uh, but if they had, it had worked out that game day had gone to Corvallis, I mean, it would have been a great exp- atmosphere in Corvallis, I'm sure. And it probably would have gotten more eyeballs on, on the Beavers, and maybe they would be ranked right now. But, you know, it doesn't, in some ways, it doesn't really matter whether they're unranked or whether they're 22nd right now. They just got to keep winning. If they keep winning, they'll get ranked and they'll have a chance to play for the t- division title. What about this double-edged sword for Oregon State, though? The better they do, the more George and I start screaming from the mountaintops that Jonathan Smith's the right hire for USC. So it's almost <laughs> like the, the the more light that gets shined on them, the more at risk they are to to have someone come and rob them of their coach. That's I mean, that's the way it is at, at the, that level of program, right? I mean, in some ways, that happened in Washington State, right? Because Leach's continued success got him uh, an SEC job offer. Uh, you know, I don't know if he would leave his alma mater to go to, to USC. Right, USC is a different deal. You got to deal with LA, and it's a lifestyle choice in addition to a coaching choice. I always wonder if those guys that that are happy in the Northwest, whether it's Smith or Peterson or even Cristobal, would want to go deal with LA. 
See, and that and that's where I've tweeted out. I said that Texas that USC fans have surpassed Texas levels of of delusion for who they can hire as their head coach. Because like I know it's LA. I live in LA. I understand the weather. I understand the the you know the allure, all of that. But first thing, everybody doesn't want that. And then the second thing about it is, is I'm not sure that USC people and people around the country who talk about this job understand that this is near a full rebuild, particularly on the offensive line, because they don't have any draftable like guys who are expected to get drafted in their in the freshman, sophomore class and or or even any of the upperclassmen either. So it's so it's like if you're going to compete on the level and you know, do what USC does historically, which is being able to just run people over with the amount of talent, then you got a long way to go with this roster in a short amount of time and people aren't going to be willing to be patient. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you're right. Offensive line is tough too, right? I mean, the transfer portal allows you to restock very quickly, but uh, offensive line, it, it generally takes longer for those guys, whether it's uh, transfers getting uh, acclimated to the system or, or freshmen. So I, I do think that there's enough good coaches out there that that have a big enough ego to think, I could do it at SC, right? Yeah, they got no offensive line, but I can do it. I'll, I'll make it work. And that's part of what makes you a great coach is having that ego. Uh, they'll end up with some good candidates, I'm sure. But I don't know that Jonathan Smith is going to be one of them or Mario Cristobal is going to be one of them. Well, we we seem to know that Mike Tomlin's not going to be one of them. Uh, as <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> I don't know what made Carson Palmer float Mike Tomlin's name out there and stir the pot in Pittsburgh. My initial thought was, oh, this might be the Cincinnati Bengal coming out in him, but he hasn't had anything to do with that team since the moment he left. And so I, I'm not sure how this all went down but Mike Tomlin's response to being linked to the USC job was so aggressively negative. I mean, it's it's the right thing for a fan base. So often these head coaches waffle. But I, I almost wonder if you're a USC fan, does that kind of take some of the wind out of the sails of, of, of what you think or what you aspire to as far as a head coach when somebody comes out and is this aggressive? <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, he said, never say never, but never, and then walked off the stage. Uh, and and that, I mean, that was his reaction to being linked to what 10 years ago would be the best job in all of college football. And it, I, I just wonder what the effect is for the ego of USC fans across the country. Well, and then there's the Jeff Fisher thing, right? I, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. like Jeff Fisher, like how can you find a way to go seven and nine in in twelve games? Like he's he's not your guy. This was just a crazy sit situation. But uh, John and Ralph, because me and Ralph have had this debate. He says the Pac-12 has no path to the playoff at this point. And I'm like, what are you talking about? If Oregon goes 12-1 and and Ohio State wins the Big Ten, and we're assuming that Georgia wins the SEC and beats Alabama in the SEC championship, and then Cincinnati wins out, and then Oklahoma wins out. Let, we're, we're assuming that those things happen, which are possible. And he's like, the Pac-12 has no chance 
if it comes down to Ohio State at 12 and one and Oregon at 12 and one. And I'm like, we saw the game on the field like it, it would be a mutiny if if they put Ohio State in at 12 and one and not Oregon in at 12 and one. Oh, I think the Ducks. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think the Ducks will get in on that case. Thank no, you. No question. I mean, there's a there's a precedent for that, right? 2017, Oklahoma went 12 and one. The loss was at Iowa State. Iowa State was unranked, so comparable to the loss at Stanford. And Oklahoma won at Ohio State in week two of the season, and they got in, and they got in easy. They were the number two seed. So uh, I can't imagine a scenario in which. You know, it, well, there's plenty of scenarios that Oregon could get left out, but I don't think there's any that let result in Oregon getting left out because of Ohio State getting in, right? Like there's one spot left and they pick Ohio State instead of Oregon. I can't see that happening. That, then, then they got to blow up the system immediately because you're saying a head-to-head result doesn't matter. And it was My- a decisive head-to-head result. My primary issue isn't that that's not the correct argument because I believe that it is. My primary issue is that as of week eight, 80% of AP voters have Ohio State ahead of Oregon with the same record. So we're assuming that over time, uh, public opinion is going to shift when Ohio State has probably the toughest schedule remaining in all of college football, including number 20. Uh, Penn State, undefeated Michigan State, undefeated Michigan. Uh, I think they they might still have Iowa on their schedule. They play at Nebraska. And so it, it's it's more over what it would take to get to 12 and one for Ohio State. And considering that 80 percent of AP voters can like currently have Ohio State above Oregon, that I, I have a really hard time imagining at some point the Pac-12 provides enough um, for for Oregon to say, look at our resume uh, we can come from behind, which they are right now. They're behind. Maybe the college football playoff uh, committee has a completely different attitude than AP voters as a whole. But I think we all know that they at least take some direction from how the polls shake out over the course of the season. They usually do. But in the first poll, the second poll that the committee puts out is is kind of known as a, the correction poll, right? They put out the first one that's kind of based on the AP poll and the coaches poll, and then they see what the reaction is, and then they reevaluate. And the second <laughs> one is a little bit more accurate. No, I, I totally get what you're saying, Ralph. Uh, and Oregon needs, you know, Utah and Arizona State uh, to keep winning. They need to be able to play as many ranked teams as possible. They need to face a ranked opponent in Las Vegas. There's no doubt. Um, But I just, I I can't see how a situation where it comes down to those two teams for the fourth spot and Ohio State gets in. And if they're both 12 and one, I I just can't see it. There's other, you know, I I think if you're Oregon, you know, you certainly need to be worried about undefeated Oklahoma and undefeated Cincinnati. And then you need to worry about what if Alabama beats Georgia? Yes, right. That could that would raise a that's a problem. Assuming that neither one of them stumbles for the rest of the season, then yes, that that creates a problem for not only you know uh, Oregon, but it creates a problem for Cincinnati or Ohio State or even Oklahoma. Like it creates. I mean, because what happens if Wake Forest wins out? Even though nobody thinks they they will, what? What happens if they do? Well, yeah, that's true. You're right. Nobody really is considering that, but an undefeated ACC champ would certainly get serious consideration. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, one of the things that George brought up that that, that I also kind of take issue with is that let's say that it comes down to Ohio State and Oregon, and both teams are 12-1, and one, and the college football playoff committee decides to take Ohio state. George paints a picture of weeping and gnashing of teeth and tearing of clothes. And I, I have genuine reservations of whether or not the country would go to bat. We all know that people love to complain and they'll latch on to, you know, whatever there is to complain about, especially when it comes to, um, you know, committees and selections and the college football playoff. But I don't know if this country has the energy to, to, to get behind Oregon at the expense of Ohio state. I don't know if the public opinion would really be, um, as fervent as George outlines it to be. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, certainly out west it would be fervent, but uh, you know, the most of the population is east of the Mississippi. I, I don't. I think that the Pac-12's underperformance the last few years would certainly hurt its support, its public support in a situation like that. Uh, but I mean, you know, you can lay out it's 
six or eight scenarios that are more likely than than that one. I understand why it's it's for Pac-12 fans. It's certainly something to consider, but there's so many other hurdles. Uh, I think before that you get that one. I mean, including Oregon winning out, right? I mean, they certainly haven't right. played nearly consistently enough for that for that to be potentially an issue. The other one is what if what if the Michigan Michigan State winner beats Ohio State? Then exactly. then there's another problem, right? Cor- and there's a correct. lot of issues right now. A lot of, a lot of, and the fact is Cincinnati is going to be really viable because of that win at Notre Dame. Yeah, and. Yeah, and I wonder if they'll get squeezed out because people have questions about their their schedule and only playing the two pack the two power five opponents in Indiana and Notre Dame. But uh, but John, you're you're a a Heisman voter, and we have been talking about the Heisman Trophy about who can win it at this point because I sometimes am disappointed with. The finalist, I, I, I thought last year you guys got it right with Devontae Smith. But sometimes it's always, oh, the top quarterback on the best teams. And it's like sometimes they're not even the best player on their team. And I look at this year, the three players that me and Ralph feel like have been the best in college football this year have been Bijan Robinson, for the, the running back from Texas, you have um, – Who's a Tucson kid, by the way. Tucson right. kid. Don't and, remind me. <laughs> <laughs> and Kayvon Thibodeau from, from Oregon. And um, – oh, who's – who's Drake who's, Jackson. Yeah, yeah. Or Drake and, London. No, no, and, yeah, Drake London. The other Drake. USC. Yeah, Drake London. And Drake London from USC. Yeah, I mean, certainly – Pound for pound, those guys are as good, right? I mean, I think Kayvon's issue, though, is going to be he missed time and he didn't play in the Ohio State game. They won anyhow. So if you're a voter, you know, and remember, what is it, three, uh, five-sixths of the of the Heisman electorate is located east of the Rockies, right? So if you're evaluating a defensive player, and the last defensive player to win it was Charles Woodson, who was also a punt returner. Yeah. Uh, if you're evaluating a defensive player and you see that he didn't even play in the team's biggest win, you know that could sway you in another direction. So I, I think he should be. He's on any list of the five best players in the country, but it is, that's not the same as being on the final five for a Heisman. In the mind of a Heisman voter, though, if a team goes six and six, but you have somebody like Drake London have 140 catches for 1,800 yards, or or you know, in just a regular season, or or you have a guy like Bajan Robinson um, run wild as a sophomore, you figure he's going to get another chance to do it again. Do do they even become discussion points, or is it look? The Heisman is traditionally one of the best players on one of the best teams, and so you know, tough luck to everybody else. Yeah, I mean, for most voters, it's it's a popularity contest, right? There's there's no doubt about that. I mean, London certainly helped himself. What you know, Notre Dame playing in Notre Dame is the biggest stage you can get for a Heisman voter because there's such a heavy concentration of the electorate in the Midwest. Um, what do you have? Fifteen catches for 170 yards. I mean, can't do any better than that. So, uh, I, personally, the biggest thing for me is how do you play against the best competition, right? I want those, I want to, you know, and you can take the statistics and you can filter statistics for, you know, 
FCS, I mean, FBS opponents, Power 5 opponents, ranked opponents, conference opponents, I always look to see, all right, these guys have, you know, have the gaudiest stats and their teams have done well, but who has played the biggest on the biggest stage? And so right right now, who who is kind of in your upper echelon of Heisman people right now? Well, I mean, London is for sure. There's no doubt about that. Uh, you know, I think Desmond Ritter, the Cincinnati quarterback, needs to be given heavy consideration. There's a lot of support lately for Kenny Pickett. I don't know if you guys have seen Pitt. Yeah, yeah, from yeah. Uh, Pittsburgh. You know, there's always – the Heisman is so crazy because there's always a couple of guys who aren't even in the conversation before the season starts, and then they're, they're in it deep in the season. Uh, you know, I think Bryce Young deserve, probably deserves some, some consideration if they can – especially if, if they can beat Georgia. The good news is that the Heisman has tweaked their the, the voting so that you can wait through the conference championship games before you have to vote. you got to have your votes in by one uh, 2 o'clock Pacific on the Monday after the conference championship. So that, that certainly helps as a voter. You know, I want to see what happens in those games. Yeah, Um there, there's been a lot of talk in the Pac-12, John and Ralph, about potential job openings. Right? It, obviously, Washington State and USC are are open now, and there are fans that. I mean, of, of course, fans always want the next head coach, the next quarterback, all of all of that. Do you think any other head coaching jobs come open this season? I don't know, Ralph, what do you think is going to happen in Arizona State? Oh, man. Well, we both Arizona think the State. Arizona State's coming open. Yeah, I mean, it, you, would, you would think, but they're in such a unique situation in which Ray Anderson hired his lifelong friend, former client, uh, that if Ray doesn't – Ray's not going to fire Herm Edwards, so they, they'll have a different name for it. If Ray stays and Herm doesn't, it won't be a firing. It won't be a resignation. It'll have it. They might not even say retirement. They might just make up a word like they did for the NCAA investigation by calling it a review. You know, that, I love that. that. The review. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, what infuriated <laughs> me is then like local media down in Arizona started using that term. And I was like, there's no there's no precedent for this. Like we, we look ridiculous by <laughs> it's a uh, review. What, yeah. what, what do you mean? Like they don't come just check up on your on your homework every now and then. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, like everybody else is, 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 you know, has their, their employee review this week. But uh, I I would say that unless everything comes down to, you know, how focused in Michael Crow is on all of this, the smartest thing that Arizona state did to even be able to play football this season was suspend with pay the three assistants who were mentioned in the dossier and then not interview them. Because if Arizona State had conducted any type of internal investigation whatsoever, then more would have been done than just putting three assistants on paid leave. Um, so they've kind of left it alone, left it up to the NCAA. NCAA has a lot on its plate. And so they just kind of get to drift through this, you know, strange season in which they're not able to recruit, uh, but they have so much talent on their roster that they could string together a potential Rose Bowl run. And so 
it would be very strange to see Arizona State find some way if, you know, Utah loses at some point and they win out and they never have to play any more games in the state of Utah. Uh, if they end up running the table and, and go into a Rose Bowl and then you have Herm Edwards say, like, I, I accomplished everything I came here to accomplish, you know, and, and steps down. What's the next step if, if Ray Anderson isn't moved on as well? Because one thing that I absolutely know for sure, Ray Anderson's not going to fire Herm Edwards. It's just not going to happen. So uh, that is an unanswerable question for me. I, I think that uh, a logic would, would state that once everything comes out, it's very possible, but I just can't see Ray Anderson being the one to pull the trigger. So, so I think so. So, so before we get into the rest of the ASU stuff with um, it is we were, I was asking, do we think any other coaches would, would be any other job openings? We both think Arizona state will be open, but when Washington fans want Washington to be open, I don't think that's happening. I, I mean, like un, unless he loses all the rest of the games this year, I don't think that he gets fired. I, I can't imagine unless there's an off the field issue that they're going to fire Lake. I just can't. You know, they won the division last year. He took over in the middle of a pandemic. They won the division. Say what you will about last season. They were declared the North Division champs. So basically you're firing him on one season. That would be unprecedented. If there's nothing off the field, especially when you're talking about a guy. What do you think about his recruiting or lack thereof? Because that for that last class and this class don't be don't seem to be shaping up to Washington standards. No, they haven't recruited very well, but I don't know that you can use that necessarily as as a justification for getting rid of a coach after one one bad season. I mean, it's ultimately about wins and losses. And you've got a coach who was incredibly popular and successful and, you know, contributed tremendously to the success of your program for five or six years. And then is an absolute no brainer, right? I mean, imagine a scenario when Chris Peterson had stepped down, what was it, December 2nd, 2019, if they had said, no, we're not going to hire Jimmy Lake, we're going to conduct a national search. I mean, there would have been an outrage. So it was a no brainer at the time. I just don't see how they would would move on from him after after one bad season. He does need to make some changes. He does need help, but I think that you know, it, I can't see a scenario where where they make a change now. Other schools, right? I would, you know, I think there's a chance that we're going to see guys move on. You know, whether it's Winningham retiring or Justin Wilcox moving on or Cristobal going somewhere. I mean. I just think that there – or Chip Kelly, what if things don't grow, go great for UCLA? His buyout goes down to zero in January. I think there's a chance that beyond Rolovich and Helton and if we put Herm in a different category, there's a chance that we want other change for any number of reasons. What does Jake Dickert have to do to stick? Oof. Because there, the, the guys that have worked for Craig Bowl have had a lot of success working <clears throat> elsewhere, um, whether that's uh, climbing at, at Kansas State. Um, you got the Michigan State defensive coordinator, Scotty Hazleton. Um, just people within that system. I think the defensive coordinator for Nevada, and I know that Jay Norvell, uh, that whole staff is 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 rumored to be up for whatever opening comes. Um, but Jake Dickert's another one of those guys that worked for Craig Bowl at Wyoming. Um, seems to seems to be getting the best out of his team defensively. Uh, but they've kind of needed something, whether it's the run and shoot or the spread, in order to keep up. Um, it could you see Washington State retaining a defensive minded? head coach for the long term 
I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I think that that's a different situation, somewhat, because they're not looking for a necessarily a culture change in the locker room, right? I mean, that's that wasn't the problem. That's not the reason there's an opening. So if you think continuity uh, is the is is really the priority, then maybe you do. If they, especially if they win, you know, if they beat the Huskies, there'll be a lot of support for them. I don't know. I mean, George, don't you think that? The culture in the locker room has got to be a big calculation for oh, Washington State. Yeah, yeah. If if he can get them to a bowl game and then and one of those wins be against Washington, he's going to have a pretty good case, like at, at least to have a sh- real shot at the job because Leach didn't beat Washington. So, you know, if they if they feel like, oh, we have a coach that can beat Washington – then now you believe that you have a coach that can win you, that can d- develop, potentially develop talent and maybe even, you know, have, you know, do kind of what Matt Campbell is doing at, at Iowa State, which is you win six, seven games at first and then you'll you'll have an outlier 10 win season and then maybe you come back down to nine or eight and then a couple years and then stay there and then you go up to 10 again, 11, get a New Year's six bowl game. I think that that's what the goal has to be at Washington State. I don't think that you try that your goal is, oh, well, we're going to turn Washington State into a national powerhouse national championship team. I think that you have to build them into, you know, like waiting on those years where you have the right talent, the right quarterback, the right everything to where now you can win the Pac-12 and get to a New Year's Six bowl game. It is interesting, though, philosophically, like Washington State is probably better off being different, right? Yeah. You know, whether it's the air raid or the run and shoot, they probably are better off not not playing systems that rely heavily on recruiting four and five star linemen. You know, there's no doubt about that. I mean, I think being different is good. And for them, very, very much so. That was part of the reason they hired Rolovich. So, you know, if there's somebody else out there that's an air raid guy, that has got proven track record, probably look at him. We're a yeah. run and shoot guy. Yeah, I, I, I like the run and shoot better than I like the the air raid. I've been pretty vocal about how much I I hate the air raid, but I don't mind <laughs> it at Washington State, right? But because I think that you're dealing with that when you go up against teams like Oregon or USC or even UCLA, whoever has more talent than, than you do. I think that you need something that's a little bit different than what they normally see. Like, like if, like if they chose to run a triple option, I'd be fine with that too, because now it puts you in a position where other people aren't seeing what you're doing regularly. So now you have a chance to win every single game because it's something that's a little bit more unexpected. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, 
You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, speaking of the air raid, what do you think Cal fans are going through right now? Seeing Sonny Dykes be a hot name in coaching circles again, get linked to Texas Tech, things like that, while they, over the last I think they're going on the fifth year of potentially dropping in their overall scoring average per game five yeah, but they years can play in a row defense, under Wilcox. Though, Ralph. But they, they can play, play defense. defense. That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> they went from the polar opposite. They went from the worst defense in America, but being able to score a lot of points to not being able to score and a pretty good defense. My worry is the trend, though, because the offensive output per game just keeps creeping down and down and down. And now you see uh, uh, all these people in Lubbock excited about Sonny Dykes. I just wonder what what it is Cal fans are going through right now. I don't know that Cal fans are remorseful about that. I I think a lot of people didn't think Sonny Dykes was the right hire from the get-go at Cal, right? I mean, Cal, you know, you want to mesh your your coach's philosophy with your recruiting pool, right? Which is why USC should want a coach who plays a pro style, right? Because they can get the linemen. Um, Cal can get linemen and quarterbacks uh, and and tight ends and fullbacks. They could play a more traditional style. That was what they had successful success with under Jeff Tedford. Um, I don't know that the the air raid's not a good system for for Cal, right? The receivers are you know too much reliance on on speed. I think uh, nobody's regretting having Dykes gone. I think that there's some people who are regretting hiring Musgrave as the offensive coordinator. There's no doubt about that. And we could do an entire show on staff hires, decisions Pac-12 teams have made with coordinators and with assistant coaches and how that whole thing has played out. But uh, to me, that's... Why do you, 
Oh, Why do you think though that that that's been a problem? Is that is that the coordinators haven't had the type of success in the Pac-12 at, at at some stops that you would have expected, and some of the hires have not been, you know, wh- whether it's as splashy or whatever. It, it it's almost like some of the coaches don't know what they're looking for, and I yeah, and I. It's just confusing to me because I'm saying, okay, like, what do you like? Coordinators have a history of what they do. And then I think sometimes head coaches, they get to wanting to tinker and say, no, I I want I hired this coordinator, but I want him to play this style of ball. And that's not his style of ball. Like you have to hire a guy who and who's been successful and then let him do his job. Well, how do we explain Colorado with Darren Chivarini having three different bosses and retaining parts of the same role over time? There's continuity there, but the performance has has dipped. I know they got a freshman quarterback or whatever, but it just seems like there's a conference-wide issue with being able to score points. Yeah. Oh, there is. I mean, but look at what happened. Colorado just, just fired their offensive line coach. He was hired. He was coaching high schools, right? He had never been a power five assistant coach. And he was coaching high schools when Colorado hired him. Now, I, I know Darrell, you know, but he was hired in late February, right before the pandemic, scrambling to put a staff together. But, you know, that's that's an example where you think, uh, you know, they're not clearing the bar. Look, I mean, Washington's offensive coordinator, obviously, uh, fired by Penn State, kind of bouncing around when, what, Jacksonville's organization is an assistant uh, an offensive analyst. I mean, there's a lot of cases where you just look at the resume and you think, boy, I'm not sure that that, that person's up to it. And stop trying to shop in the scratch and dent, man. Like I, I and and that and, and that's not to say that these people can't be good good coaches, but there's an element of you don't have to go buy the most expensive thing in the store for it to be really good or the best thing, but bargain shopping doesn't always get you the best thing. So, so I think that there's a somewhere in the middle where the actual answer is. Is it a bargain problem or is it a budget problem? Because Colorado lost Mel Tucker to uh, staff resources, right? Nobody in the Pac-12 is going to be able to match almost $8 million a year just for your staff, not even for you. Right. And so, I mean, it, are, are people looking to, to get a discount or is this just a matter of what the Pac-12 has as far as what's in its coffers right now? Because obviously Jed Fish, you know, Arizona really thought they got their guy, but it's also sort of a discount hire. Now, Arizona fans have to watch Rich Rod out at University of Louisiana Monroe with his backup quarterback beat Liberty and cover like the largest spread in the history of of, uh, of uh, Division One football. And that, you know, that's just something that that, while Arizona fans haven't won a game and, you know, they they haven't watched their team win a game in two years. Since November 5th, 2019. Right. It it makes me wonder because you said, you know, at a discount, George, but is it is it a discount for these Pac-12 teams? Are they spending the money that they have to spend? I mean, I think it's two things. One is they certainly don't have the same amount of revenue coming in as Big Ten SEC schools. Right. They just don't uh, for a, a bunch of reasons. But I also think you know there has been a culture in the Pac-12 for years about not participating in the arms race, and m- several presidents, Arizona State's Michael Crow for one, have you know 
talk publicly about being proud of the fact that the Pac-12 does not get involved in the arms race <laughs> right. and get down and dirty and spend all this money. Like It's a source of pride for them. And you, But there is certainly something to be said for you get what you pay for. There's no doubt. Yeah. All right. Uh, now, on to the games from last yeah. week. Uh, and we'll go through these quickly. It, it started out on Friday night. Uh if dude, Washington beat Arizona 21 to 16 and it took a last minute effort. I was watching that game when they were down what 13-0 at halftime and then it was 16 to 7 and if it weren't for a ridiculous interception on that that screen pass, I don't think that Washington gets the momentum to win that football game. I don't <laughs> I honestly I I don't know what Washington needs to do. You know, there were doubts about John Donovan heading into that game and then when they fall down 13 to nothing and George is blowing up my phone, so that's how I knew I knew what the score was because uh, I missed about five calls in 5 minutes. Um I think <laughs> not being able to get more than two and a half yards of carry with Sean McGrew. And I know that they have that wildcat package and everything else against Arizona's defense. When the truth is there's probably only about four players on Arizona's defense that should even be getting any reps at a power, uh, power five level. You know, they got that six, six, three thirty D tackle, Anthony Pandy, Jalen Harris, and maybe Chris Roland Wallace. And other than that, everybody else needs time. They need some seasoning. They need to get better. They need to be in the weight room for a while. And to not be able to run the ball on that defense, I, I don't have an answer for that. That is, uh, you just look at these two rosters. People were talking about Washington being the best offensive line in the country, in the country. And they can't go down to Tucson and get more than two and a half yards of carry. So I don't know. I, I honestly don't. Uh, the, the fact that they pulled it out is just, I guess that's why you play four quarters. U ultimately, over time, talent wins out. We see it again and again and again. But should it have? Did they deserve that? I don't know. Oof. I mean, they're, they're, it's not very sophisticated, right? You don't need to be a coach. Just watch Washington, and they just they're, – they're easy to – I guess the best way to put it is they make it very easy to defend them with what they do on offense, uh, with their run game schemes, uh, with you know the personnel, all that stuff. They are easy to defend every, because everybody's done it, right, including Montana. Um, but So what were you thinking when, when you were watching that game, John? I was I was saying to myself, I wonder how Arizona is going to find a way to blow this. Yep. Because you know, yep. I mean, there's right. You got to learn how to win, and uh, when you, when you got a quarterback who's basically your third stringer, not that their second stringer was very good, Gunnar Cruz, but you you kind of just knew if 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 there's any way Arizona any can, mistake, yeah, it, it any was mistake. good. And as soon as they threw that threw that pick, yep. I was like, game's over. Game, game's because over. they they don't have the resolve to deal with a setback or a shift in momentum, right? I mean, consider the opposite is Oregon, right? I mean, Oregon, UCLA comes out and hits them in the mouth with, what, two, two straight touchdowns in Oregon. You know, they don't flinch, right? That's the opposite of Arizona. I feel bad for Jeff Fish at this point because I think he's doing all the right things. He just – he doesn't have a quarterback, period. I I, I think that this week we're going to see a lot of Jamari Joyner at quarterback, like that that they may go full wildcat something because 
their quarterback situ- situation right right now with Will Plummer is just it's just not tenable right now. Um, yeah, I, I did a little check, and I think that they are the first team in uh, certainly in the twelve Pac twelve era to lose their top two quarterbacks to season ending injuries. It happened to UCLA and Oregon both, like in the late two thousands. Yep. Um, UCLA ended up having to play a whole season with like Kevin Kraft because their top two quarterbacks got hurt before the season even started. Uh, and then it happened to the Ducks in what, 07 with uh, Dennis Dixon got hurt. And then I believe Brady Leaf also got hurt. Yeah, that was a disaster. <laughs> that was a disaster. Yep. So, But it's rare. So here you got a coach, new coach, got to overhaul his roster, very little talent, and he's down to his third string quarterback. It is a tough situation. I'm all in it for the Jamari Joyner show, though. 2,200 <laughs> yards, 1,400 yards rushing in, uh, in in high school. He 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 was uh, he was just a super athlete back there. And if, if for nothing else, you might have somebody with the ability to break a play. I worry about the the health of his feet because he's missed a lot of time to injury. But if they do put him out there, they might accidentally score an 80 yard touchdown. And I think that's what this team needs right now. Well, they're going to yeah. need about 10 80 yard touchdowns and Trojans <laughs> up. Yeah. Oh yeah, there's no way that this game is even close, even with the way USC makes themselves easy to defend as yep. well. Yeah, a Drake London, you know, he will outscore Arizona. Yes, <laughs> individually, <laughs> I. I I just thought that Jimmy Lake was a little bit too happy after after the win. I couldn't understand. I was like, you should not be walking. There should be no smiles after this game. This should this should be like, thank God we escaped. Let's let's fix it. <laughs> because like it was he was a little too yeah, you know, we gotta watch the film. It's you know, but it's uh good to win. You know, good, good, good feeling, great job. The guys, great resolve. And I'm just like he's got no sense of urgency, and that can that would concern me if I were a Washington. No fan. question. All right, the next game up, uh, we had the early game, which was the Oregon UCLA game. I was in attendance for this for this game, and this game was like a tale of different parts of the game because Anthony Brown, Oregon's quarterback, who has been much maligned by Oregon fans. He actually had and you and you yes. and you. <laughs> he has been, but but I have changed my tune. Um, this was his best game, aside from the very end of the game. Those those two passes at the end of the game. One of them wasn't so much his fault as the other one, but I but I actually liked what I saw from Oregon after getting the after getting the pump blocked, falling falling down fourteen. They're Defensive coordinator Tim DeRuiter did a great job getting them back in the game. Offense actually looked really good for the first time in a while. And then you have the turnovers at the end of the game, which gave UCLA more life when the game should have been over. I, I want to I do want to give kudos to Anthony Brown for uh, in his 37th college game, starting to figure it out. He did have a really, really good third quarter. He helped them pull away. He's the reason they won. That's that's the that's the biggest compliment that that I can pay him. He they went into the game. College game day talked a lot about, and, and Mario Cristobal talked a lot about how bad he's been in third quarters and how good he's been in fourth quarters. He transposed that, and they still managed to escape. But they don't win without his effort. Um, this is the best I've seen Oregon's receivers play. Uh, this is mo- the most bizarre stat line I've ever seen for a running back. 
um, that was uh, that, that was a lot of fun to watch because George and I argue a lot over uh, uh, Travis Dye <laughs> and whether he's a feature back. And I think he pr- either proved us both wrong or both right at the same time um, in this game. But I, I think that it was uh, it was Oregon's defensive resolve that impressed me the most that allowed them to go on a 34 to three run after falling down 14 to nothing. Yeah, no, that, absolutely. Uh, UCLA, too. They've been picked apart at the Rose Bowl, right? Jane Daniels picked him apart. Jake Hander picked him apart. I don't understand. They're deep. They're they're past defense. Their secondary should be better than it is. I yes, think. they play soft. I don't understand it. God, John, you hit the nail on the head. Like they they just give stuff up. They're like, here, here, take these five yard hitches. Yep. Like they don't make anything difficult on you. Nope. Um, now, uh, the other thing, you- oh, real quick, the one thing I wanted to mention with Oregon, I think you could draw a direct line between Anthony Brown's performance and Joe Moorhead being in the booth and having a full week of normal coaching. I think there is such a, he is so important to that whole operation. And, you know, you could tell uh, that Stanford game, they were out of sync. He wasn't there. Uh, I think that that's that's something that needs to be mentioned is Moorhead's impact. And I saw him after the game; he was hurting, dude. Was he? Yeah, yeah, he was. He was hurting after the game. I saw him in the locker room. It was, yeah, he was like, like I said, man. It, I said, it's good that you're feeling feeling better. He was like, man, he's that brother. I'm hurting right now. Oh man. Yep. Um, you had USC go fight for the Golden Shillelagh in in Notre Dame stadium and just get absolutely beat up 31 to 16. I thought with the problems that Notre Dame had been having at quarterback, shuffling quarterbacks around a little bit inconsistent play. I thought USC would play better. I didn't think that they would win, but I thought they would play better. John, I I just, I, I, I don't even know what I'm looking at, dude. They're soft up front, right? And I and Slovis is not. They got a one man. They're a one man team. I don't know that they should be, but that's what's happened to them on offense. Is they've become a one man team. I think that they got no chance to get this thing turned around this year unless Jackson Dart plays. Do you do you think that they will? If if Jackson Dart, who they said wasn't cleared last last week, if he's cleared this week, do they start him? I don't, uh, you know, I don't know. They start him? Well, they should. I don't know that they will. It kind of depends on how much practice is he able to get in, right? I mean, there's a certain point during the week that you probably can't start him if he's not out there. But, you know, I, I just don't think Slovis is – he doesn't have it. He, two years ago was his best year. He doesn't have it. Yeah, he lost his fastball. Um, well, one of the things about Slovis, though, is he he always had a little bit of trouble early on in the games, and he's just not – he's not recovering. Yeah. The, the way that he used to. And it's interesting because the thing that Jackson Dart adds is just that trust that his receivers are going to get it done. I don't understand why Keaton Slovis can't translate that same trust he has for Drake London over to Taj Washington, over to some of the other uh, the other receivers. He's staring people Gary down. Bryant Jr. Yeah, Gary Bryant Jr. That one of the, th- the thing about USC that always cracks me up because this game I had to go back and watch the replay, but I'm tracking it on my phone and I'm looking at the stats and it reminds me a lot of uh, if, if you're ever checking up on Angels games, right? You see like, oh, Shohei Otani hit two home runs and and Mike Trout hit for the cycle and then you check the final score and it's like, oh, Angels lost 4-11. to Right. Like I was looking at, I was like, Keaton Slovis has completed 70% of his passes. Keonta Ingram's already over a hundred yards rushing. Drake London's playing really well. They have seven points. 
Like, right. Yeah. And that's, uh, I just, I, I don't get it. Uh, there's something wrong with this hey, team. And, and George Harrell, and Ivan. Graham Harrell may be the right guy for Oregon, uh, for Washington State, though. And Oof, I'm like, I don't what? Know. What? No. No. I'm like, man, he's not the right guy to be calling an offense right, right no. now in the Pac-12. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, uh, you, you had Cal beat Colorado 26-3. to this was a kind of typical Colorado game that we've seen this this year. Brendan Lewis went back under a hundred yards. I, I, John, make make me understand because you've been covering this conference for a long time. The Colorado has now played seven games, and in f- I believe five of those games, Brendan Lewis has been under five hundred. I'm sorry, under one hundred yards. It was only their first game of the season against an FCS opponent and then Arizona. The only over a hundred yards passing. How, John? How? It's inexplicable, George. There's there's it's unprecedented, inexplicable, and inic whatever you whatever ends you can think of. I mean, 
ins and uns, unprecedented, right? I, I don't know. It shouldn't be like that, right? It's not like they've got the talent's not very good. Their offensive line's not very good. They got a couple receivers that can make plays. They got they should be able to run the ball. And if you can run the ball, you should you should be able to throw the ball, right? You play complimentary football. I don't understand. They it. had 104 yards of total offense <laughs> against Cal. Well, but what's crazy is that's not even their worst of the year, right? Yep. I mean, Minnesota, they were like at 60. So it, it is – I think that they – statistically, I think Arizona is worse than them on a couple of uh, key metrics. But I think Colorado's got the – it's the worst offense I've ever seen. That I could think by, by Arizona's and, offense is 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 uh, Kansas City compared to <laughs> compared to Colorado, and you, you the, probably the wildest thing about this Colorado offense is every once in a while you'll see a flash that Brendan Lewis could maybe be something someday. I know for a fact Montana Lamonius Craig is a very good football player. I know Brendan Rice is a future star, and they have two running backs that are proven talents. They're proven. And this offense is still doing nothing. But what I want to talk about is, yeah, it was a typical Colorado game, but there's nothing more typical than what Cal did offensively. 438 yards of offense, zero turnovers, two touchdowns. That is Cal in a nutshell. They move the ball, they protect the ball, and they do not score. Why can't this team finish? I, I don't I, I don't understand that at all. This is a it, 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 just looking at the stats with Cal every single week. It's like, oh, they moved the ball really well and didn't get it into the end zone. I don't have an explanation for that. And then Cal is lucky that it had Colorado this week or else it, it, it might have found itself. I mean, what would people be talking? We were talking about uh, last year. So we had a lot more Cal listeners than usual because they were expecting a 9-10 to win season. They have most of their games taken away from them, and then they come into this year. Chase Garbers is supposed to lead the way. They lose uh, an offensive lineman to medical retirement. Brett Johnson gets hit by a car, and then they might win three or four games this year. And I, I feel terrible for them, but it – it, the idea that it's not enough to maybe make a make a change at the top is 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 interesting to me. It's like they're th- because that would assume that they're n- not meeting expectations, but people have kind of just resolved to the fact that Cal is going to underperform, and that's the way it is. Yeah, I, I don't know what I mean. I've watched them a couple of times and thought. Why aren't they running the ball more? They run the ball and they succeed, and then they stop running the ball. Like the Oregon, the end of the Oregon game was a great example. They were getting eight yards on that last drive, and then they get down to what the fourteen, and it's just pass, pass, pass. Uh, Nevada, same same thing happened with them at Nevada. I don't, I don't quite know what to make of them. All right, uh, BYU Washington State. This was Washington State's first game without Nick Rolovich. They didn't score very well. Uh, Jaden De- Delora had probably his worst game of the year. Uh, didn't throw a touchdown pass. They allowed BYU to rush for over 200 yards and Algier all by itself, 191 and two, two touchdowns. Do, do you, do you think that there, this would have been a different result had, um, had Nick Rolovich been been coaching, and why is BYU four and zero in the Pac twelve? Oh my gosh! It's, I mean, it's one of the great subplots of the season, right? I mean, uh, BYU Twitter is just out of control, right? They want that they want that South Division trophy, 
Um, <laughs> Maybe they should get it. Yeah. They got one more game. One left. more game, right? I know. I know. You know, I think that I mean, it's understandable Washington State had trouble moving the ball. You, lo- you look at what they did against uh, the Beavers at home and against Stanford at home, and they were rolling. And then they lose their offensive line coach, their QB's coach, their head coach. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, they, they, they struggled a little bit. So that's, I think that's kind of understandable. Yeah. And dude, they, they still have one more game left. Who is it against? Against US? Yeah. USC, yeah. the last game of the season. Oh man, dude, if they go five and oh in the pack 12, oh, that, that would be absolutely embarrassing. Um, the, the can last- I just, can I, I just want to say real quick, I am sick of Tyler Algier. <laughs> I'm sick of that, man. I do not want to see him anymore. Well, have fun in the Big, Big 12. 12 soon. Oh, my gosh. Um, Utah, Oregon State. Uh, this game went took a left turn at halftime, just like the U.S., just like Utah's game did last week against ASU, except for not in their favor. Uh Utah was up 24 to 14 at halftime, looked to be in firm control. And then at halftime, Oregon State was like, listen, uh, forget everything else that we were doing. We are going to run the football all over you. 41 carries, 260, and three touchdowns. I I, I can't make uh, any I can't make sense of anything that I see in the Pac-12 as far as except for I know Oregon State can run the ball on anybody. But if you get them in third, but if you force Chance Nolan to to throw the ball in third and long sit- situations, that's the only way to beat Oregon State. I don't remember the last time uh, Utah gave up 250-plus yards on the ground in a conference game. I mean, that's just crazy. I, th- I think it was the Pac-12 championship when, when, when they played Oregon like two years ago. Like that's the only time I can uh, – like that was bad too, but like this was really bad because it was just because at least in that game Oregon had some big runs. Yeah, this one was just just run you over six, seven, eight yep. yards at a time. Yep, it was crazy. I it, never would have thought that would happen. It, I think it, it actually it feels worse than it is because they're only giving up four point one yards a carry, um, which is kind of you know it. It's definitely, you know, two years ago that that was down to 3.1. So, you know, a 25% increase is definitely going to feel like a, a whole lot, but it really feels like right now you can get what you want in the trenches against Utah. And I'm, I, that's definitely a new thing for me as well. George and John, my question for you guys, uh, much like the, the earlier Heisman discussion is let's say that USC goes six and six and Drake London continues to, to go at the torrid pace that he's going. Um, but Oregon state doesn't lose again. And BJ Baylor is up at 15, 1600 yards rushing averaging seven, eight yards a carry. Does Drake London even win pack 12 player of the year? Mm. Uh, he may not, he may not. I think Dang. I think there'd be I, I think that there would be some support for for Baylor absolutely, man. And I think right. it's also you know you got to it's also there's you can't just count the politics. And I think there's a lot of coaches that would be very eager to vote for somebody from Oregon State. See, 
Um, now on to our Pac-12 Power Rankings. John, th- this is your first time here. So we give our 12 through 7 and then our 1 through 6. Um, uh, Ralph, I'll let you go first. Okay, well, I think we all know who's at the bottom. So we can just – should we just skip that part? <laughs> 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 I mean, uh, I obviously I've got I've got Arizona at the bottom um, and then uh, Colorado, Cal after them, Washington, USC at eight and Stanford at seven. And I have the exact same 12 through seven, the exact same 12, 12, 12 through seven. How about you, John? Uh, yeah, Arizona, Colorado, uh, Cal, Washington, USC. Yikes. And then, and then Yeah, and then six through one, Ralph. They, we, th- this was very close. Ours is very similar. Uh, yeah, so this makes no sense, and I'm not going to apologize for it because I've, I've done enough of that, and I know that everybody's short on time here. So I have uh, UCLA at six, Washington State at five, Arizona State at four, Utah at three, Oregon State at two, three spots ahead of the Washington State team that beat them last week, and Oregon at number one. <laughs> Yeah, and I have Washington State at six, UCLA at five, Arizona State at four, Utah at three, Oregon State at two, and Oregon at one. Yeah, I got the the same order right there. It's yep. I mean it's tough every week. There's a new number two every week, or it seems like right. It's Utah, it's UCLA, it's Oregon State. That's that seems to be the trend here. Is for who is the second best team in this conference? It's Number two plays like number two. <laughs> That's the trend. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Be- before we finish up today, quickly, um, John, we'll, we'll uh, go through the games and, and and the spread, and we and we pick the games. So we'll start with uh, Colorado at Oregon. Oregon's favored by twenty one points. Over under forty nine. Who you got? Uh, I would like Colorado against the spread. Oregon has played down in their competition. I think they'll have trouble covering. Um, I have Oregon and the and the over. I think that this game is the first one that they, you know, show up and show out because they want to make a statement. So I got them. This is the first time I'm taking Oregon as a favorite all year. Um, so hopefully they they don't do to me what they've been doing to you, George. And I'll take the over as well. <laughs> all right. The the next game, uh, Arizona at USC. USC's favorite by 21 points over under 56 and a half. Where do you stand, John? I, I mean, tough. I, USC's played terrible at home, but Arizona's terrible. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick Drake. I'm going with Drake. I'll take the, I'll, I'll give the twenty-one. <laughs> that U.S. That he's gonna win all by himself. All by himself. Uh, I got USC minus twenty-one and a half, and I'm gonna take the over at fifty-six and a half. I, yeah, I think John talked me into it talking about Drake London, so I'll take USC in the under. All right, uh, UCLA Utah. Utah is favored by six and a half points over under 60 and a half. Where you at, John? I I think it's going to be high scoring. I think both teams are going to be able to move the ball. 61 and I go, I'd go over uh, and I probably think it's going to be close. Uh, I, I, what I thought I knew about Utah, I'm not sure I know. So I'm taking the Bruins and uh, over. I got 
the Bruins, even if Ethan Garbers ends up starting, I think he'll show up. But I got the under. I think that th- that this game is going to end up running a little bit, and and UCLA can stop the run. There'll be more punts than we probably think. So th- that's where I'm at. This is the I've, I've done really really well this year picking just unders in every Pac-12 game. This is the one time I, I feel differently. I'm going to John. I'm taking the over, and just to be different with no reason in particular, I'll take Utah minus six and a half. Oh, you loser! <laughs> um, all right, we got Washington State at Arizona State. John, we thought this line was bizarre minus fifteen for Arizona State and over under fifty two. Where do you stand? I, uh, you know, I like the home team coming off a bye against a road team that has had a very emotional two weeks. So I kind of like the Sun Devils and uh, definitely the over. All right. I got the over, except for I got the Washington State Cougars. I don't think that they're going to win this football game, but this line feels so out of whack to me that I am going to pound this line. Ralph? It's snowbird season, so that means you might have some road fans, and we know how Arizona State reacts to crowd noise. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and take the plus 15 and a half. I do think ASU wins, but I'll I'll go with the over 53. All right. Uh, Oregon State at Cal. Oregon State's only a point and a half favorite in this game, over under 55. Where um, Where are you at, John? I'm at the under close score, uh, close low scoring. Uh, you know they, they played. I think the last two games have both been three point games. Oregon State's won them each by three. Uh, I think the Beavers will win, so I'll take the Beavers with that narrow a line. Yeah, I got the Beavers and the under. You, Ralph. This line feels like the biggest trap of the weekend, but I'm falling for it. Oregon State uh, with the one and a half, and I'll I'll take uh, I'll take the over just because I, I again trying to trying to be different, trying to catch up to you, George. All right, final game: Washington at Stanford. Stanford favored by two points. Over under forty eight. Where are you at, John? Stanford. The, you know, Washington never plays well at Stanford, and uh, I, Stanford's coming off again, coming off a bye. Right? I mean, they needed it. Uh, I think th- this late in the season, that rest is important. I got, I got Stanford. I'll take, but I'll take the under. Yeah, I got Stanford and the, I have Stanford and the under as well. I love Stanford coming off a bye. I just want to know why they don't do the same thing coming off an entire off season. <laughs> so I'll take Stanford in the under. Good question. Good question. <laughs> well, you guys, this has been the Pac-12 Apostles with John Wilner. John, thanks for coming with us today, man. Thanks for having me, guys. This was great. All right. Peace out. Catch you guys later. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. 
Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.